Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlife. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by me and my business, Lauren Grace Inspirations. Hi, Lauren Grace here, and welcome to The Afterlight. And I'm joined today by my fabulous guest, Simone Lee. She is an animal communicator, an energy healer, a negotiator, and problem solver to animals all around the world. Simone can help you if your pet is having a difficult time with change, aging, health, moving, change in behavior, or any additions to the family household. Simon has an ability to be able to create a safe space for a deeper understanding and healing between you and your pet. Simon is going to be joining me and you today to talk all about all things animal communication. We're going to talk about her process. I am dying to know why she thinks animals are here and how they are assisting us. I also would love to know whether or not animals communicate in different ways based on their species and uh, maybe whether or not they have some wisdom that they'd like to impart to you and me today. So Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's not your first time on the show. In fact, I think it's like your third time now. Yes. And thank you for having me again. It is my third time. You know, sometimes I just, when I get on with a guest, I get on with all of them, but you know, some of them, we have like a little special bond. And I think that you and I have that. And I just love getting to know you and I love having you on the show. And when you're someone like yourself, who's so multifaceted, you know, we've been talking so much about light language, for example, in our other episodes, I actually should tell the listener at home. One thing that was really funny is so Swan and I recorded our light light language episodes and I think it was maybe part two and I had my dog George here and I went oh I I like picked him up and showed some on because I like to show him off and then she goes oh George do you remember this conversation that we had so Simon says oh George George is telling me that he's very handsome and I went oh right you're an animal communicator and I think because we hadn't been talking about animals that idea had escaped me and then later on that day we went to the post office and two people told George how beautiful he was and I was like stop it he knows he knows so mommy tells him that all the time as well (laughs) (laughs) great yeah so true. So after you said that, I was like, oh man, we really need to have a conversation all about communication with our animals. So before we get into this subject, can you just for our listener at home who might not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. And uh, today we'll be kind of niching down a bit on the subject of animal communication. So when did your spiritual journey with the animal world begin? It, I've always, always had it. So I've, um, I am an only child growing up. And my mum always got me pets and my pets were my siblings. And my mum said I always had a natural ability with animals. They were always calm around me. They would always like just relax into me. And I'd talk to them. I'd play with them. I had all sorts of animals, dogs, cats, birds, fish, guinea pigs. Back in the day, she even tried to get me a turtle. Not allowed now. But um, so I'd always have this ability and to talk to them and I could hear them back. I thought it was normal. Yeah. So growing up until I went to high school and I'd mentioned it to a couple of people, friends at that stage, I thought I was a bit crazy. So then I hit it. And then in my 20s, 
when I, I traveled overseas for a couple of years and then came back and adopted a cat called Cubby, that's where it really cemented the animal communication. We had such a beautiful deep bond mm. and such deep conversations. She was a really, really wise old kitty cat. Mm. And she worked with me with animals as well. So, I mean, that gave me total goosebumps when you were talking about Covey. And I think I might ask you a couple of questions later if you feel comfortable with answering that. But just before we get to that, so for for our listener at home who might not be familiar with the way that information can come, come through. And I know that myself, until I started mediumship and hearing, really hearing my guides, I never really understood the process or how it actually works. So can you share a little bit about how the information comes through for you? Like when you're talking about having a conversation, having a sort of a rapport and feeling that understanding and that that deep connection with a pet, you know, almost in like a physical way, I think is easier for people to understand where they may have that kind of just feeling comfortable and the pet likes them and wants to sniff them and stuff like that. That would make sense. But actually getting information kind of given to you in another way is a little bit more challenging to wrap your head around. It is. So when I do it and teach it, I teach it a little bit differently to how I do it because I developed mine over like since childhood and stuff like that. So one of the yeah. things really important to understand, and you'll know this from being intuitive, whether we see information, get signs, or whether we get a little movie screen, whether we get a thought coming through, whether we get a feeling. So all the different clairs, claircognizant, clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, all those different types of ways we receive and interpret energy comes into play with animal communication as well. So what it is, is it's, it's about like, I've really built all my senses up so I can, they can show me an image from the past and I'll see it like a short movie or a flash of a picture. I can hear their voice, their intonation, their mood come through their speak. And it's not through my thoughts. It's like an external voice coming in, in my head and I can feel what they're feeling. So for that, I kind of get a bigger picture because each one is giving me a different angle, a different aspect. And this is really works well with clients because animals are very similar to children. They can answer in yes or no questions or yes or no answers and my job is to get more elaborate answers or descriptive answers from them. Mm -hmm. So by them showing me a, an image or a movie scene, I can hear their thought, I can feel it, it gives me a little bit more depth. It's like mm -hmm. watching a movie and hearing it, but the feelings are coming across quite strongly. One of the things I do want to ask you, I know we've had an amazing, we had a, a really cool conversation one time in one of our Soul Deep evenings. And I remember you mentioned to me that pets can actually stay young if we sort of get them to stay young like treat them like they're our children so when you're talking about a, having a yes or no question and then wanting a little bit more information um, would you say that in general if you're going to communicate with an animal that their um sort of the, the their vocabulary their vocabulary isn't as enhanced of course as humans and so they have to kind of subsidize that with imagery or is that in those cases, is it maybe because someone like myself doesn't have children and so projects all of that children-esque onto a pet that sort of keeps them at that age? Can you expand a little bit on that fascinating but, idea? 
And both comes into play with what you just said, then both sides of what you said. So just as we have a dominant sense that works for us in how we receive information and energy through energy, animals have one as well. So they might talk more through pictures. Some might talk, um, send messages more through words or feelings. They'll have a dominant sense as well. And I usually always work with the top three, especially when teaching it because it makes it easier for you to understand. Some mm. animals are better at receiving information or conversations rather than sending or conversing back with you. So the animal communicator's job is to entice them to speak more. Some haven't used that muscle, so it's really developing and activating it on the spot. And if they're used to being cooed and kept as a, a pamper baby, they don't need to express more. Yeah. You know, they get their they get what they need through their cute looks, their behavior. And most people that have pets, I'm gonna say nearly everyone that has a pet does have their own form of animal communication. So a lot of it might be physical cues when they're really excited. I can tell you every single person that's had a a dog or a cat has been given the paw when they know their animal's not happy with them. It might be they just turn around, give them their bottom and swing their tail or stare at you like this, like, oh, I'm in trouble now. I know I am. So everyone's got that form of communication happening. And the next step with animal communication is being able to expand on that to get more detail. And also, would you say about being intentional that you're doing that? Because I think that a lot of pet owners, for example, at least in my experience for myself, is we give a lot of direct directives to our pet, do this, don't do that, come here, sit, lie down, right? We we are always sort of telling our pet what to do, at least with dogs. I'm not sure if it's the same with cats. Uh, mm. So we're not always opening up the chain or the channel to have a conversation back. And it's funny because when you're talking about being given the paw, I automatically had this vision of sometimes when I'm taking George out for a walk and I ask him to come to me, he'll sometimes look at me and go, I don't think so. And just go off and do his own thing. So (laughs) (laughs) I know that like they challenge you like kids do, they still challenge you. So a lot of the time we're directing animals. So we're projecting the energy towards the animal. Mm -hmm. They can understand it if we're clear and aligned with what we're saying or projecting. So I'll just give you an example. A lot of the time we're multitasking when we speak to our animals. So you might think, oh, I'm going to cook this for dinner tonight. Hey, don't go there. And that meant to the animal. And the animal's like, what what just happened then? We're not grounded, so our energy is all over the place. You have to remember that animal communication is specifically through energy. If your energy is aligned, you can get your message across much clearer to them. If your energy is scattered, and you're multitasking in your mind, they're not going to understand you. One of the things that I always say to clients is that don't focus on what you don't want your pet to do or your Mm -hmm. animal to do. You can say no, but focus on what you want them to do. So have an image in your head of what you want them to do. Say what you want them to do and feel it. So how do you feel someone, an animal sit down? You just feel yourself relax and plonk back. Mm-hmm. And you have an image of the dog. I'll just use a dog sitting down and you kind of plonk back and go sit. 
however you want to do it. Usually we've got the physical cues or sit, whatever, and they learn that way. But you can send like a double whammy message by using the energy words and we're completely aligned with what we're saying. When we're calm, animals respond to us very well. Yes, because they don't feel that we're threatening them. You know, I know I've had situations with George where I want to try to maybe take something he shouldn't have or, and the minute he feels like I'm, I'm getting in this space, he puts his, his back up, for example. And it's a mixed message because I don't know what's going on. They just know mm-hmm. they're in trouble for some reason, yeah. but it's unclear why. So they kind of freeze and do that. And they're waiting for a sign of what do I need to do next? Mm -hmm. I do want to call out, you just gave a really big piece of guidance and wisdom to our listener at home. And it was just done in such a casual way that I just wanted to highlight it for a moment. When you were talking about not saying, uh, not telling our pet what we don't want them to do. I personally feel that's also a really big indicator for the universe as well. So it's not about putting out the intention of what we don't want. It's putting out the intention of what we do want. And I just think that when you said that, uh, it was just such a big piece of wisdom in the way that we actually could be running our lives sometimes differently that I wanted to make sure I highlighted that really clearly. Because we do focus, oh, I don't want that, I don't want that. Hmm. And what do you want? Yeah. Let's yeah. Get that in the bigger picture then, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So as a psychic and a medium and um, for yourself, I, I believe you're the same, um, although I don't normally call myself a psychic, a sincere, I know that we have to have boundaries where um, number one, we have to have boundaries for our own mental health because otherwise it's like really intense. I know sometimes I go to a mall and I'll, I'll see all these people around me and I'll go, oh man, if I just flip the switch for a second, there are so many dead people here. And this is crazy, <laughs> way too overwhelming. So a big part about us being able to be intuitive um, is also you having permission to really connect with people's energies as opposed to just kind of doing that. Do you have a similar process with animals or do animals sort of have a, yeah, I guess, do you have to have the permission of their, their parent, their parent, or, you know, yeah. sort of how does it work in terms of that? I always have like to get permission from the owners, the pet parent, because I think it's really important to understand that boundary. Like if I'm walking in the street or sitting in the park or at a cafe, I'll always say hello to a doggy. Um, but if they're sitting down, I'll say, oh, is your dog friendly? Can I pat them and yes. have a look at with them that way? If they come to me and I'm in the park, I'll say hi. But it's more like, hi, nice to meet you, instead of that in-depth connection, because right. it's not our place to do that. It is boundaries and respect mm-hmm. just to be aware of that yeah yeah like, and you're not working you don't want to go into anything with this animal and yeah it's that over familiarity you can have with a person even that makes them uncomfortable mm-hmm. when yeah. you them. so I think that's really important the other thing is people pet parents you know they're they're protective over their pets their animals mm-hmm. you don't want to seem over familiar because they might think you're trying to steal them or something (laughs) yes yes who's this crazy dog lady yeah she's talking (laughs) to my pet like she knows (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about different types of species because I think that you know in general it's really easy for us to go and talk about, you know, working with dogs and working with cats, because they are sort of the more more common animals. But you mentioned that when you were growing up, you actually had a lot of different uh, 
I guess, uh, siblings of different species. And I know that one time we talked as well, you had a snake in an aquarium behind you. So I guess they must be, is it still there? Oh, yes. There we go. Yes, he's there. (laughs) Oh, cool. So let's talk a little bit about uh, connecting with different species. So in your experience, when you're working with and connecting with animals, do different species communicate differently, have different maybe things to say, or do you find that the personality of the animal really comes through and the species is just not really relevant? Okay. So in my personal experience, I, it's all the same to me. It's like the personality. It's like someone from a different culture might have a different accent and they might talk at a different pace. It's like talking to someone that's got ADHD. They're going to talk fast and you really have to listen as well. Yes. Sort of something like that. But um, for me, it was easy, but it was when I was learning to teach it that I actually realized the difference. So dogs and animals, they kind sorry, dogs and cats kind of speak at the same pace. Birds, and I'm going to talk about it in frequency vibration. So that's like the average person that we know that we're familiar with speak at that level with. That's I'll just say the centered line. Birds speak at a higher frequency and really, really fast. So sometimes when I was teaching this, I'd I'd see um, some students go like this, like they're really listening and trying hard. (laughs) And I said, oh, and then it's more, it's like you say to the animal, can you slow down or can you repeat that for me? If you don't understand it, I'll say to them, can you say it a different way? Can you share it with me a different way? And then you'll get a bigger picture that way. So birds speak faster. It's like a trilling frequency. Fish speak slower and they're more, I find more deliberate with what they're saying. My snake, and I've spoken to a few snakes, they're more very grounded in energy snakes Mm. unless they're scared, obviously, and then they'll freak everybody out because they move so quickly. But I, I just feel that dogs and cats are the medium ones and bunnies as well, but the birds, the start to go flightier and higher in frequency and the fish are a little bit lower kind of like moving in water yes it's really cool because when you were talking with that I was like okay so the birds are in the air and the air element for me is a really high frequency it's a lot about like ideas and coming things coming in really 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 fast like a lot of intellect and then the water element, the fish, right? The water is like the emotion, the intuition. Even when I say intuition, I automatically go zoom. Like I kind of like suck in a little bit where I feel a little bit more slower pace, a little bit more in tune. And then when you're talking about the groundedness of the snake, it kind of makes sense that, you know, really almost like in with the soil of the earth, like feeling all of that so deeply it's really interesting how your interpretation or the way that you're connecting with the animals or this different species is really based on also their, the elements that they're kind of gravitating to. I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 I love that. I mean, it's so cool because when I think about a snake, I, I do, I can't help but think about the lisp and the drawn out S's and the really spaced out words, 
How does this snake feel to you when you're connecting with their energy? So the energy is usually very grounded, but their personality comes in. So every, doesn't matter what species it is, every different living being has their own personality touched in on it. And that's what gives them their quirks and that kind of, you know, whether you can banter with them, whether you have to tread in more gently or whether you need to come in a little bit firmer because they're cheeky and naughty, that sort of thing. So um, I can talk about my snake, Pi. He more communicates through emotions. Oh. Like he'll talk sometimes, but I'll go, Pi, how are you feeling today? He'll he'll say, I'm good. But then what he'll do is he'll wrap his energy around my neck and give me a cuddle. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm stressed, he'll come up around my neck and go, and just I get the feeling of a weight on me and he'll just go, are you okay? He's very soft. But it's more through his emotions. Whereas my cat, um, Nero, that passed away last year because Tubby was the one I had before, um, he was more a talker. Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I don't like you doing that. He was just always talking. <laughs> when you talk to your pets, Simone, do you speak out loud to them or do you speak to them within your head? Both. Okay. Both. It's kind of like um, what I, I do their dominant sense. Okay. And sometimes if it's complex and I want to really be descriptive, I'll use the feeling, but I'll describe it in words and maybe send a photo. With animals, when I do a session face-to-face for clients, I'll say it out loud so the pet parents can hear what I'm saying. Yes, yes. So why do you think that animals are here? I mean, you talked about being a, a uh, like an only child when you were growing up. I don't know whether or not you live alone or not. But I think that for me, like, you know, getting George, because I don't have children, I feel that he's really given me the gift of being able to almost be a parent um, with him. So and I remember reading, well, sorry, I I should rephrase this. I started the book by, um, I think it's like, uh, what's his name? It's escaping me right now. I'm looking behind me at the moment because I do have his Oracle deck with um, Colette Baron-Ree, but uh, Villanueva, it's like a Spanish name. I'm so sorry. If it comes to me later, I'll let you know. But he was talking about how we need to go through these different uh, roles in our life. So it's almost like we need to be the child. We need to be the teenager. We need to be the mother. And then we need to be the wise woman, you know, just if we're using references to women. So I guess my question to you is why do you think animals are here? Do they have different purposes based on what they're here to do. What about animals that we eat? Do do they come here? Do you think consciously knowing that that's part of of why they're here? And I'll yeah. elaborate on my question further after you have a um, moment. Basically, my belief is that we have many soulmates. I know people always look for their soulmate partner in life, but I believe we have soulmates as families in our family cluster. So through mm-hmm. life, a soulmate can be a best friend, a parent, a sibling, or even an animal. And they come in to help us move through a certain stage. So Cubby, I had in my 20s, she came in to really activate um, the animal communication for me. She really developed it for me so that I did it for clients and then started teaching it. She would also um, boss me around. She was a very dominant cat. (laughs) 
and she'd tell me, you've got to do it this way. And I'd be like, I don't want to do it that way. She's just try it. And I'd do it that way. And I go, okay. So I think I was the stubborn one with her. So it was more, I feel Cubby was that for me. Now people come in, people have animals to help them move along in a journey or a life lesson to get through, whether it's a support mechanism, whether it's a guidance part where they really show you or to open a part of ourselves to be able to deal with that shadow aspect. Mm. Um, Animals also take away energetically pain for us. So they can take on our sickness, our physical sickness, our emotional pain, even trying, you'll how many times I if you're really in your head, does George try to get your attention? I probably wouldn't even notice if I'm really in my head, but I will pay attention now. Because what he's doing is trying to get you out of it mm-hmm. and to in the present moment. Animals make us in the present moment if we allow them to. They can also be quite grounding for us. Mm-hmm. If we have an animal that's quite anxious or quite um a bit of a scaredy cat, so to speak. What that is, is that we have to step up for them. And a lot of the time we might be the anxious person, but we're not willing to step up for ourselves. Many people will step up for their animal, which makes them actually have to step up for themselves energetically. So if an animal is really anxious I'm not saying to compensate for their anxiety because I, I think that's not the necessarily the right support for them. Mm-hmm. But if we ground our energy, practice grounding our energy, the, the animal's going to connect to us in that grounded energy. So both of us step out of that anxious. I think that's so cool because I was, you know, doing a workshop a little while ago and I was teaching people about setting boundaries. And I was sort of explaining that when you're not used to setting boundaries, that it's actually important that you invite in opportunities to practice. So say no in ways that you feel comfortable. And what's coming through for me when you were talking about that is like, our animals are here to assist us with being brave. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It just made me feel really emotional when I said that too. (laughs) It is. And, you know, a lot of the time we've had past lives with these animals. Like for many of us that are animal lovers, we will have, sorry, it makes me me like emotional too. We will have quite a few lives with these animals, souls wise. And their coming back or our rejoining is to help complete some karma, some life lesson, and just to open the door for that spiritual growth within ourselves, that bravery, that we're not alone. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for me, it's like I go through and I don't know what it's like for you, but, you know, I'm on the spiritual path. I live it every day. I do these conversations. I read these books. I connect with spirit. And then sometimes, probably when I'm not aware, and maybe George is trying to get my attention, I'm in my head and I feel like I have to do it alone. And I'm barraging through life and I'm forgetting to take a beat to ask for help or to ask for that support. And, you know, I just like, I just wanted to kind of go with that for a minute when you're talking about us not being alone, because 
that is the gift that that they do give us, isn't it? You know, I mean, he's in the other room. I'm not alone. I'm here with him. But if I'm sitting in my room, sometimes I forget that we're connected to all that there is. Correct. What what happens there is that, you know, we've been taught to live through our minds. We've been taught to navigate life through that critical mind. Yeah. The voice, that one that's like the ego comes in. It's like chatting away. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. You can do this better. Yeah. And what happens is that when we live in that critical state of mind, that consciousness, we've actually disconnected from the physical body which means we've disconnected from our heart. We don't have that beautiful connection with our heart. It's not open to receive that love and that abundance of support and that we're not alone, those feelings. When we connect to our animal, even just thinking of our animal, you can be at work and you think of your animal. I know like I used to think of when I used to have an office, I'd think of Nero and his smell would come in and I'd instantly smile and my heart would just go boom wide open that is one of the purposes that animals in our lives do for us one of their major major roles which is the heart opening heart chakra opening it is such an important experience to feel safe to experience an open heart and receive love not just because a lot of the time we we give love most of the time we don't know how to receive it safely And that's a big thing and why we're open and closing our heart chakra. With animals, we just open it and we feel safe to receive, which is huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some people are more animal-tuned because they feel safer opening their heart and receiving love from the animals than people because they don't understand boundaries with people. Right, or they know that that the animal is unconditional that even if you have a fight or an argument that, that you both can let it go and everything is fine, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, when you're talking about the heart, it's like, I interviewed this woman on my show. I can't remember if I told you, but her name is Rhiannon Hines and, and she's got an amazing book called the keepers of the light codes. And I remember I was reading that book and it, it was alarming to me how much it it felt like home like from the first page I just went I found what I and I understood about the heart in a completely different way and I feel like my soul had been yearning for that because I've got heart tattoos all over I've got I've always been into heart so it's always been my my sort of thing but I I don't think I really ever got it in the same way and one of the things that I realized that for many, many years of reprogramming my mind is that I was missing the key element of feeling. Yeah. And I think maybe part of it is because this is just me surmising, but that, you know, maybe when I was younger, I shut down a lot of feeling because being empathic and not understanding that I would have been overwhelmed. So maybe not feeling enough, you know, now makes sense like that. I've kind of been reawakening to it. But when I think of connecting with George or how much I love him or or my old dog, um, the love there is, like you said, it's overwhelming. And one of the things that I started to do is when I would do my gratitude list or I was really in my head is feeling the love I have for, for my animals and then being able to, yeah, it's like you said, you come right back into your body, into the present moment, into the here and the now. You do, you definitely do. And what you're coming up with in the heart space is you're really connecting to the upper heart chakra. 
which means accessing to the universal love, soul love level. So the bottom heart chakra, bottom part of the heart chakra is more earthbound, third dimensional, right? So we're still connecting with others, but we're still doing it in a conditional form, so to speak. Right. Still love. There's no judgment in it, but there's more like, will they love me back? Am I enough? The upper heart chakra is the part where it's like connected to the higher realms and it's the unconditional part. Most people know, or I want to remind them, if you have an animal that we are their be-all and end-all, we are their point in the world that gives them a reference. So it's easy when you know this why they give us such unconditional love, why they're always looking to us for reassurance or direction or come on, is it feeding time yet? That sort of thing. It's the upper heart chakra connection that's occurring there. Now, a lot of parents have this with newborns or young toddlers when they can't speak, when we're really guiding them, things like that. As they get older, and we have to start reprimanding teaching and life gets a little bit challenging, um, the bottom part is activated as well. And then we have desires, which are what we want for our children as well. So that's where the bottom part gets activated. But with animals, it's a little bit different. It's really like a coming home to ourselves, that opening of the heart that they activate within us. We love each of our animals differently. But each one has a purpose, a role, a dynamic, energetic dynamic within us to help us shift, propel forward, or connect at a different level, heal aspects of ourselves. And animals, sorry, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Animals are really like, I don't feel that people understand the important role that animals do play within a family dynamic, even for children. We're seeing now like, um, what do we call them? Assistant dogs or, mm-hmm. um, sorry, they play such an important role with people's needs, just calming them down, epilepsy, um, company. It is their role. As we sort of awaken consciously, every single being species is awakening as well so their roles their purpose also increases it's just so beautiful one of the things I want to ask you is about the concept of reincarnation you did talk earlier about soul families and the concepts of you know our animals being part of our soul family do you believe or in your experience even that animals can sometimes come and then they're physical being you know kind of has to dissolve and then they need to come back and continue to do the work or some means some of us are lucky enough Mm. same animals soul twice I I call it just a soul because it's just a different species and we're a species as well and it's always crossing over I've had that have been human in past lives as well so lucky enough to get the same soul twice in a lifetime I haven't experienced it with clients as a norm yeah but it has increased over the last say few years wow so I don't know if that has to do with the opening or the shifting of um the the energies 
it, but I, it has in the last five years increased a little bit more, or they'll say to me, we will be coming back. I will be coming back in this lifetime. That's so interesting. The word that came to me, you said that was rapport. So maybe there's some kind of familiarity where they're able to almost pick up where they left off versus when you're meeting a new soul or you have a different connection. Maybe you can't go as deep. Like maybe it takes time. I don't know if that. I don't, I don't know. I haven't actually yeah. looked into it that much, but I also get that the human has to shift and grow themselves in their own time. And then they come back at another certain growth spurt opportunity or when another door opens mm-hmm. or when, um, a tr- I won't say a trauma when a challenging period enters, they may choose to come back then. What about animals that are, you know, I live, um, I live near a farm, uh, sorry, I live on like a property. And so our property borders farms. So we have cows, which are just best and they always come up to the fence and, you know, but they're, they're being raised for meat. That's yes. why they're there. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I I don't know whether or not you're vegetarian. I haven't asked you that before. I, I have met with animal communicators before and they are all vegetarian. I wanted to know a little bit about your thoughts on that, including animals who come here and their seemingly their purpose is to feed humans, but we know there's something else probably at play at the same time. Any thoughts on, on that, Simone? For me... I'm not an active promoter of that not to eat animals, okay? I think everyone, some people are anemic and they need to eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, I eat seafood, but I don't eat any chicken or red meat. I don't eat a lot of seafood. But for me, it's more about animals that are farmed. I feel that their soul knows this to experience it, and it's more that they do a service for humanity, they are living more in survival mode and how I kind of liken that is to areas of the world that aren't necessarily living in luxury. They're in survival mode and it's an experience for them and it's like they actually purge some karma by choosing to do that. Mm. It's I remember society to the human growth. Yeah, I remember when uh, I read Robert Schwartz's book and um, it was called Your Soul's Gift. And he was talking about <clears throat> even examples of like when um, women miscarry or have an abortion, that sometimes there's a pre-birth plan there. Mm-hmm. I'm saying sometimes because I, I don't know if it's all the time, but I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but that the soul wants to experience life, but not for a long time, like just almost a glimpse of it or for a moment. And there's like this connection or this agreement between the the mother and the, the, the fetus or the soul, I guess, to experience that. Yeah. Comes into experience duality and it's might be their final level of experiencing at that level of pain or loss or whatever the emotion the mother is actually feeling at that time oh so you've got to remember what they experience as a feeling the fetus is whatever the mother's going through 
So that soul knows that, and it might be coming to clear up some of their own karma or coming to help clear the mother or the father's karma as well. And I don't like to look at karma as a punishment. All it is is karma is that something's repeated until something's resolved. Until we are able to look at it through a different lens or a different perspective and it shifts the complete experience and then it's just done. Yeah, because we're the ones that say that's good, that's bad, that's, you know. Very uh, true. Yeah. yeah, the reason why I brought up that example was because I was thinking about, well, maybe some of the animals that are here to provide sustenance for humans are also experiencing life in a way that, you know, they're, is fresh. Yeah, they, they would be experiencing, there'd be periods where it'd be okay depending on how their life is, but I I encourage humane animal living. 100%. yes especially if you're gonna we're not preaching but i mean let's be real if you're gonna also consume these animals because whatever is in the animal's body at the time of death is the energy that's stuck in the meat or whatever it is that you happen to be eating if it's in shock or in pain we get that frequency as we eat it Hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so it can increase your own pain vibration. Meat is very dense. And if you're talking about energetically wanting to lift up, it, it's very holding and grounding and earthy. So mm-hmm. I'm not here to tell you what's right, what's wrong regarding your diet, but yeah. it's just that if you want to lift up and have the higher frequencies a little bit more, maybe reduce your eat meeting. Mm-hmm maybe eat just white meat or just be aware of the type of meat you're eating, like organic, that sort of stuff. Exactly. Um, One of the things that I learned many, many years ago, and I will say don't do it every meal, but I do it whenever I'm thinking about it. And this is a note for me to continue this up is I always say bless this food from, you know, it's moment of inception until now. So essentially from the moment all the way till I eat it, all the process and things like that. Do you believe that we can transmute energy or is a dense you know the indigenous people of every country they 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 have rituals for when they go hunting and when they kill the animal they do a ritual of gratitude of thanking it and Mm. and blessing it and Mm. like for me that's working in harmony with the animals you know, and then and then as they eat it, they're grateful and they're having that beautiful gratitude and blessing energy that they're in, ingesting. And it's like the energy you hold the space for the animal soul to trans transmute. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it comes down to also your intention and your awareness where you're not just doing things, you know, almost like brain dead. You're like being really conscientious that an animal actually was raised for this purpose and you get to enjoy that. And yeah. So one of the things I want to ask you about, this is a, and feel free to, you know, say as much or as little as you want on the subject, but I remember someone asked me, they said, you know, now that you realize you're a medium, does it change the way that you look at death? Does it make death easier? And I said, no, it doesn't. Uh, because nothing is the same as a physical hug, you know, when you're in a physical body or, you know, the, like you can get 
smells and we can get feelings, but it's not the same as when you can run your fingers through a, a mane or an animal's fur or, or, a, you know, you can feel like a human, you know, that you're hugging, for example. So I guess I wanted to ask you that question, you know, do you find that your connection to the other side, that your, your connection and your awareness of souls, souls living on reincarnation, you know, even you as somebody who channels light language, so our star seed ancestry, do you find that that affects your connection with, um, life and death and, and the process of that it does and it doesn't so we're here having a human experience no matter how enlightened we are grief is grief and physically we grieve a death I think I always say that we need tears because tears are a show of how much we love that animal or that person it doesn't matter if you don't cry as well it's we it's important to express how we grieve and remember it what's easy for what's hard for me is knowing it's about to happen I kind of get into a panic mode I remember my grandmother I felt her passing two years before it actually happened oh. and for me the lead up to of knowing it was going to happen creates anxiety for me. Once it happened, I was so at peace. It was mm -hmm. like I was holding the space and waiting for that moment to happen. And the same with my animals. It's like, it could be my first one. She passed away because she had run away to die. She didn't want me to be there. And the day that she passed, I felt it. I felt like something something had shaken my world. I didn't know what it was. And I remember saying to a friend, I don't know what's happened, but something so bad has happened. It's going to change my life. Oh. Like, what do you mean? I said, I don't know, but it's not going to be the same again. And then a week later, we found her passed. It might have been a few days, actually. With Nero, he was, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen around July, August, the year before. Oh. Sometimes knowing is not a good thing. I don't know how to explain it. Knowing it's going to happen, it also gave me time to be really present and have beautiful moments with him. But it was also a weight knowing that time's getting closer, closer, closer. It's like knowing your best friend's going to move halfway across the world and you don't know when you'll see them again. And you see them every day. You've got the day, you know it's impending, you're making as much time and taking as much time together as you can, but you know that date's coming. It's a specific date. Once he passed, well, actually, he left his body before his, his body passed. And he came and sat on my shoulder because he passed my aunts. He sat on my shoulder and he said, I'm not there anymore. Oh, I'm not in there anymore. And he said, you can let that go now. I'm here. And I went, okay. And the grief, I like I grieved him, but it's more a pining I miss cuddling him more than, oh, my God, he's gone out of my life. So it was I miss cuddling him, but he was there for quite a while afterwards. So the after effect of him passing is easier, the same with my grandmother and Cubby, but the knowing beforehand mm. for me freaks me out a bit still. 
You know, it's interesting when you said that is that I have heard uh, reports, for lack of a better word, of, you know, when people are experiencing death, that they're not in their body, that they actually leave before it happens. So it just seems to me like that's almost what what happened there. And Cubby, my first cat had been, I said, Cubby, you can tell me when it's nearly happening. And he came a month, she came a month before Nero passed. Oh, and wow. Constantly. Till, so I was like, okay, it's happening soon. What about people who have to put their animals down? I, I want to bring that up because I, I know that people who have to make those decisions that very often they are left with those thoughts of, did I do the right thing? Um, could I have done anything different? And I guess I would love to know in your experience, speaking with animals who have passed out, passed in that way. Um, what's I, your kind of. I do sorry. a lot of questions with. Yeah. To make that decision. Or they come to me to help for me to help them make that decision. And I don't tell them what to do. All I say is that with animals, quality of life is so much more important than quantity of life. Oh. Things that animals will do is they'll hang on to their bodies, especially if the pet parent isn't ready for them to go. And the body will just not work as well and, and just kind of deteriorate. So one of the things I say to them to do first is to have a really heart-to-heart -heart conversation and let them know that they can go. You're ready for them to go and that you're going to be really, really sad. Your heart's hurting. It's only because you love them so much. Yeah. You're going to hold the space for them and you're going to step up and you're going to be okay. You'll be really sad but they, you don't want them to stay like this. So that's the first step that we do. And it's helping the pet parent come to terms with what's actually happening. Sometimes you see your pet every day. You don't see them age or you don't see how much they're struggling at certain times. And if they're just lingering on still or they have an illness or a condition that's causing them a lot of pain, I will say to them, if there is more pain than joy for the majority of the day, you can make that decision. I have some animals say to me that they want their pet parent to make that decision. And there's a sign that they will give them for their pet parent to make that decision. And Nero gave me that sign. He never bellowed in pain ever. And I said, when it's too much, and you want me to make that decision, I want you to bellow. And over three days, he bellowed three times. Oh. And then I made, and then I called the vet. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I go, oh, I could have done it three days earlier. But in their eyes, three, what I really tell people is that the very last part of their life is not what an animal holds on to. It's not even what a human holds on to, as you would know. It's the duration of their life, the connections, what they experience. The last part, yeah, does have an imprint, but it doesn't take over their entire life that they had. 
No. And in fact, some souls come to me and they don't want to talk about the death at all. They just want to show like highlights, like the highlight reel kind of. Correct. Yeah. And I said, it's not about your, because I go, please ask them to forgive me. I said, it's not about your animal forgiving you, but if you need that, they say they forgive you. It's about you forgiving yourself, but knowing that you did what they wanted and needed. Mm -hmm. You put aside your own feelings to help them. And I said, that takes a really brave and courageous person yeah. to at this time. So whether so I have some clients that don't believe in that because of their religion and they keep saying, help them go, help them go. And I say, they will go then at their own time. Their soul is leaving their body. Sorry, their spirit is leaving their body, but it takes time. Mm -hmm. It takes time for that to happen. You know, I think a big part about this conversation as well is really around the idea of trust, because I think that, you know, for myself anyway, my own experience, and I'd love to hear what you think that, you know, being doing mediumship and, and channeling work and stuff like that, it really is the biggest test in a way of trust that I've ever had. And a big part of that is because sometimes you don't understand what it is you're getting or seeing, and you have to just deliver. And sometimes it's not met with a, yeah, you did it. High five. It's met with a, that makes no sense to me. Yeah. And which can be very confusing and you just have to continue to go on. And it's these opportunities of being able to trust yourself. And I think that in general, in life, we don't really practice that skill very much. We're not we don't. No, we're not exactly. We're like, oh, I should listen to my intuition, but I didn't do it. Or I didn't even notice my intuition was telling me something or, and I think a big part about what I'm hearing from you is almost like when you are being given these opportunities to make decisions that when you can just trust that you're going to make the right decision, I, I believe that that just means that everything is divinely in ordered because you would be guided. And in some cases you would be hit over the head with something. If it wasn't going to be the right decision, you know, there would be blockages that would be kind of thrown up along your way on your way to make a choice. Do you sort of agree with that? I definitely agree. And, you know, we're here to experience the duality of, if you want to call it in just black and white, light and darkness, pain and joy mistake and success you know that duality plus all the gray in between it's not necessarily a right or a wrong it's to experience and if we can reflect on those experiences without judgment you know we're learning our karma we're resolving our shadow part of ourselves and animals help us do that even right to the very end of their lives they help us to do that in how we step up for them to hold the space. Mm -hmm. When some clients feel like their heart's been ripped out because of the death of their animal, sometimes they need another animal to help them heal, to move across that. Sometimes they just want the space to reflect on how much they love the animal to heal, and then when they're ready, they get another one. But the right animal or the right soul will come at the right time. Mm -hmm. 
some expect it to be the same as the last one they had. And they go, I got the same breed, but they're not the same. I don't feel the same about them. And that's where I say, you fall in love with every animal that you have differently. Like we fall in love with people differently, partners differently. It's mm-hmm. never the same love. It doesn't diminish the love. It's just that it's different. And if you can accept that, you can find that beautiful connection with your animal and then grow together because they're always teaching us. And some are so wise and intuitive, it is scary. Yeah, but we have to be listening, don't we? Do you ever ask questions or ask for guidance from your animals? All the time. What do you think about this? About that? Should I do this? Should I do that? Sometimes if you ask, because you can, I can access their soul. Like if we access our soul, it's so freaking wise, right? Yeah. And, and intuitive. It's the same thing. Animals have the same thing. You access their soul and they will tell you so much, give you so much insight on their purpose, their mission in life, what they want to achieve in this lifetime. Then mm. you have the animal's personality and spirit mingled in with their species coming in. So you get two different, you can get two parts of who they are. That's so cool. That's making me think that I need to ask George what his purpose is and see what he says. We so I don't think it, huh? You want to ask him? Oh, sure. Let's ask him. So let, me check in. let me connect with him, George. Hi, Mr. Handsome. Yeah. So he's letting me connect with him. I'm just saying to him now, I'm going to connect with your higher self now. Okay. Can you feel the shift as I go up higher? I'm just feeling really nervous and also emotional. (laughs) Okay. So let's go up to the higher part, George. Good. Mommy wants to know what your mission is, what your purpose is in this lifetime. He says, I help mummy see. My mission is to help her see through grounded eyes. What does that mean, grounded eyes? He says, sometimes mummy gets very excited when she does this work that she lifts up and then the information can't come through as deeply. He says, I remind her. It's like... You get excited and and the energy quivers and he reminds you just to be like that anchor of receiving the information and it drops in instead of you kind of reaching out. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So what else? He says it's all done through the heart chakra. He says mummy doesn't realise yet. but I help her do a lot of work. He says, I'm not always in the same room, but I know when she's working and I will come and energetically hold the space with her. It's like he's your anchor in it. He's showing me. So what that means is he grounds you. That's so beautiful. I remember too, when you first met him, that you said to me, he will be helping you. You need to tell him when he sees things around here, what's going on. Because this is when he was like a little bit younger. I think it was probably six months ago or something. And uh, yeah, it's so, uh, what that's so beautiful, Simon. Thank you for, for that. 
Yeah, so he's going to work with you. You're getting all the information. It's not that you're not getting in the information. He's just, his energy is just showing me. It's like, the only way I can explain it is that when we're, when you're channeling, the information comes this way through this. When he anchors you, the information, it's a wider bandwidth of information. So you're getting, a, how about 3G to 5G phone? He that gets you to. 5G phone level. That's so, you know, it makes a lot of sense for me too, because I don't know about you when you do your channeling, but sometimes when I'm doing my channeling, yeah, you're, it says though you have so much information pouring through and I always go, I got that. I got that because they're telling me and I go, I got it. And it's not, I got it. I've just said it. It's got it. I'll, I'm about to deliver that information, but I know for myself, sometimes it's it's like flooded, inundated. I liken it to one time I connected with someone's uh, family in spirit. And I said, oh, there's so many people here. And I, I heard like all this chattering and all over the place and partying. This person had lost 13 people in one year, if you can believe it. Oh, but it, what I'm, why I'm bringing this up is because that's what it was like. It was like so much information pouring through and all of these speakers. So it makes a lot of sense that I, that there would be some assistance with that. So how cool. When that happens to me. I'm like, guys, you need to get in the line. So I know who I'm talking to. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> One at a time. Well, Simone, we are out of time. Speaking of time, um, thank you so much for being here. I mean, I could just talk to you for forever. It's just just flows so naturally and so easily. So you teach people how to communicate with their animals. Can you explain a little bit about how people can find out more information? Is it an online course? Is it one-on-one -on -one training with you? And how um, can people get a hold of you as well? So my website is animalcommunicationmethod.com. And what it is, is I've broken it down into different levels. There's the beginner's level where you just want to do it for your pet and you still learn how to communicate. You can do it with friends. So that's usually levels one to four, but you can just do one level only and you will start communicating with your animal. And then level four is learning how to heal your animal. So it's Reiki one for people and animals. Mm level one to level four and then you hit the professional level from five onwards and that's really knowing how to hold the space between the owner pet owner and the animal how to negotiate cool. tell you when you do animal communication you're not doing just the animal you're doing the pet parent adjusting their expectations and getting them to work and you're negotiating like they want usually their pets to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do to shift to entice them to do that? So they both have to level up. And right. that's the negotiating part that you do. And then holding both of them accountable that way. So that's a professional one. And I think that's lots and lots of fun. I've got 10 graduates that have done it over the last five years and they love it. Well, it's a game changer, really. I, I know that, you know, even when you can just provide a little bit of comfort to somebody, it completely changes their whole life, you know, let alone being able to connect with somebody that has lost, you know, their child or their, you know, in pet form, which for a lot of our pets, that's the role that they play. Wow. Well, 
Thank you for being here so much, my sister. Um, I will put a link to all your stuff in the show notes as well. And for our listener at home, if you haven't already, please do go back and listen to the episodes with Simone on Light Language. They're amazing. And she does a, a healing for us in there from the Palladians. And it's just absolutely incredible. So I look forward to having you back on the show because something tells me it will not be the last time <laughs> I bother you to come and hang with me. No, I love it. Thank you so much. Hi. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.